Let's open our Bible to Psalms chapter 12. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, ceases. For the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor. With flattering lips and with a double tongue do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Who has said, with our tongue we shall prevail? Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? What's well, arrogant, isn't it? Proud. For the oppression, look at verse 5, for the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him that is oppressed, the poor and the needy. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him, probably with their lips. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation this wicked, vile generation forever. The wicked walk on every side while when the vilest of men are exalted. Now, ten, I mean, now turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Over the last couple of weeks, we've, we've looked at Philip, a man chosen to serve tables, a man that was sent forth to preach the gospel. And the Lord raised up these men. He sent him to Samaria. He sent him to an Ethiopian eunuch. And the Lord was sending his church all over the world. And it was because of persecution that they had to leave Jerusalem. They had been there for all these years. It had been the center of their worship. It was where the temple was at. It was where the Lord had promised to meet with his people, but I know his glory had left a long time ago, especially since our Lord had fulfilled all the law. But, you know, they still had ties to those things, as we have ties to the things of the world. But through persecution, they had to leave. They were scattered, like seeds scattered all over the world. And they were scattered, and you know what they did? Everywhere they went, they went preaching the gospel. If there had never been no persecution, they probably would have never left, knowing human nature. He said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. Judea and Samaria and then I want you to go to the uttermost parts of the earth and this is what God is doing this is how he's working in the early church the apostles still abide in Jerusalem and you know it talks about we're going to look at Saul's conversion in chapter 9 but why didn't Saul persecute the apostles there were only 12 Disciples are all the followers of Christ. Stephen was a, a, a disciple. Philip was a disciple. And others were disciples. 
But why didn't he persecute the apostles? The only way we can explain that, God wouldn't allow it. God protected them. They couldn't touch them. They couldn't come against them. That's the only reason you think, well, why didn't <clears throat> he persecute the rest of the church? He not only would arrest men, he would arrest women, and he probably even arrested children. And, and took them before the court to convict them probably of treason or blaspheming. But God wouldn't allow them. God has a reason for it. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. And Paul is the man that God has raised up, chosen before the foundation of the world. God's going to, God will see tonight, God said, he's a chosen vessel unto me to preach the gospel to the Gentile world. You know, you've heard me say, you have the epistles, you have uh, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Galatians, Ephesians, all those books written by who? The Apostle Paul. And we are taught through those scriptures by inspiration of God how God saves sinners. There's always been men like we read there in Psalms with flattering lips. They, he said they puff at them. They speak against them. They persecute them. And that's what these people were going through. But here in chapter 9, we, look, we saw Saul, some his name was mentioned when we dealt with Stephen. Remember, Stephen was the first martyr, the one that was stoned, and Paul was consenting to it, or Saul. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord said, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice. They heard, but seeing no man. And Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. <clears throat> he came into Damascus. He thought he was going to destroy people and arrest them, and he comes as a blind man. He has to be led by someone into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and did he, neither did eat nor drink. I want to give you some things about this man, Saul. Saul was mentioned, like I said, two or three times earlier in the ministry of Stephen. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Matthew Henry said his Hebrew name is Saul, which means desired, which I thought was interesting. Though probably he was of little statute, 
King Saul, who he probably was named after in the Old Testament, was a very tall, stately man, but not this man, Saul. Most believe that he was about four and a half feet tall. That's, that's a pretty small man in any age. But this man, size has nothing to do with it. Size has nothing to do with it when God chooses a vessel. But that's, that's Saul. His Roman name by which he went among his citizens, the citizens of Rome, they called him Paul, which means little. So he did live up to his name, and we mostly know him as the Apostle Paul because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, he preached to the Jews. He could speak in the Hebrew language. We're going to see that, but he could also speak in the Greek. But what I want you to see, God had taught him all these things before he was ever converted. Everything this man, this man right here, went through was by decree and predestination of God Almighty for the salvation of his people. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. This man, why this man? He pleased to do so. Why didn't he choose someone else? He didn't. He chose this man. Now, the, the, the apostles chose them one, Matthias, but he's not the one God chose. He, they chose Matthias to take Judas's place. Not God. He chose this man. The only way he can be an apostle to, his, to have had Jesus Christ revealed unto him, and that's what we see here on this Damascus road. He was born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, a free city of the Romans, and himself a free man of that city. We'll see later on in the book of Acts, one time they beat him. A Roman beat him, and then Paul turned around and looked at him, and he said, you don't have any right to beat a, beat a Roman, and he didn't. That man says, I, I had to work for my freedom. Paul said, I didn't have to work for mine. I was freeborn. It'd be just like a child, a Hispanic couple, if their child is born in this country, they are a citizen of this country. They have the rights as a citizen. They are what? They didn't earn it. They are free born. That's like Paul. He was born there. He was raised there. He was taught these things. It reminds me of Moses. Moses was raised in the house of Pharaoh for 40 years. He would have been the next Pharaoh, but then the Lord takes him to the backside of the desert for 40 years. And then he brings him to lead his children out of Egypt. His father and mother were both native Jews, which was a, which, where he called himself, that's why he called himself a Hebrew of a Hebrew. My mother's a Hebrew. My father's a Hebrew. And I can even tell you what tribe we're from. We're from the tribe of Benjamin, which was associated with Judah. Benjamin and Judah is the only ones that didn't go into captivity. The rest of them were dispersed. So this was a high honor in men's sight. He looked, oh, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I know my, I can, I can trace my genealogy. I can trace it. They, they looked at those things. They were important. He was educated in the schools of Taurus first which was a little, which was most people considered, Athens was the place of learning, the philosophy, the Greeks and all those. This is this 
where he was taught Taurus was a little Athens. He acquainted himself with philosophy, poetry, and Greek. He's a smart man. Why did he learn all these things? The Lord taught him. You know, one day he's going to stand at Mars Hill, and he's going to stand, he's going to preach, and you know what he says? He said, you're too religious. You're too superstitious. And he knew it from example. He knew it because he had saw it. He knew it because he had been exposed to it. Then he went to the University of Jerusalem to study divinity and the Jewish law. And he was taught by Gamaliel, who we've already seen, who was a great Pharisee. Everybody knew it'd be like one of the greatest uh, professors in all of West Virginia. So I want to be taught by that man. Gamaliel knew the law, and Paul was set at his feet, and he was taught. Taught the law in his head. Taught these things. Had the greatest education. And you know what he's going to say? One day it all means nothing. But at one time he thought it did. But why did the Lord allow him to, to have access to these things? Most people had no access to these things. He had a reason for it. He's preparing him a vessel. He's shaping him a vessel to fit in just exactly the right spot. He's not trying to put a square peg in a round hole. He's putting a round peg in a round hole that will just fit this man. And the zeal this man had for religion, this man will have for the gospel. You're talking about turning the world upside down. He did. Everywhere he went, he started, usually started a right. Because he would not back down. This little he's not intimidated by anybody. You know why? He knew who Christ was. He's not afraid. They can't shake him. They can't even touch him unless God allows him. You read before this chapter's over, they're having to sneak him out a window and let him down by a basket because his people are waiting to kill him. What a change of life, isn't it? You're going from up here to down here in the world's eyes. He had extraordinary natural abilities, and he improved mightily in learning. He said, according to the law in Philippians 3, he said, I was blameless. That means he was a morally good man. Morally. But he was something else. Do you know that I think they taught these men, these scholars, you've got to learn a trade. You have to know a trade to be able to support yourself. Because there's going to be means. There's going to have to be things that have to be bought. You're going to have to take care of yourself. So you need to learn a trade. You know what he did? He made tents. And one time he's going to be in such a situation, even after he's a preacher, an apostle, and a preacher of the gospel, he, for a little while, he has to make tents. Just so happened to stay with a man who had a tent maker, who had a, probably had a shop out back where he made some tents. Well, you, know what he was, you know what that would remind him of? We're just here for a little while. 
We're just passing through. We're just sojourns. That's what a tent is. A tent's not something that's permanent. A tent is something that's put up and made to be taken down, just folded up. This is the young man on whom God wrought his grace and mercy. And this has happened in the timeline. It's probably been about a year since our Lord has ascended to glory. Saul's conversion is recorded three, probably three times in the book of Acts. Here, the record we read here, but I want to show you the other two accounts. Turn to Acts chapter 22, verse 14. Now, he gives a little bit different information in each one of these, but we know Luke, the physician, wrote all three of these by the inspiration of the Spirit of God. The one here in Acts 22, he's probably addressing the Jews. In Acts 22, verse 4, And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women, as also the high priest, the high priest doth here bear me witness, in all the estate of the elders in whom I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem to be punished. And it came to pass, and it always will. <laughs> it just came to pass. That as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus, here we see what time it was. It was about noon. About the sun was in its highest point. Suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. He's referring and relating to them what the Lord did on this road. Now turn to Acts 26, verse 9 through 19, and here's he's addressing a Gentile man, a man called King Agrippa. This man, Saul, Paul, little, will stand before kings. Wouldn't it be something if on the evening news it said somebody was allowed to enter the White House to preach the gospel of God's free sovereign grace to our president? Or any of them, even our governor, or anybody, the leader of China or Korea, or any of those men, they set themselves up as authority. Here it says, Acts 26, 9, And I verily thought with myself, that's what he thought, that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus Christ, which things I did in Jerusalem. I did these things, and many of the saints, saints that I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And they, when they were put to death, and a lot of them were, I gave my voice against them. They asked me probably, what do you say? And he probably just turned thumbs down, and that meant take them out and kill them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue. There was no safe place. The synagogues, you know, was the places that were designated where they would gather together and worship. And they compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even to strange cities called Damascus. You know how far it is from Jerusalem to Damascus? About 150 miles. 
He most think maybe he rode a horse, but I think he probably walked, which would probably take him about five or six days to strange cities. Why is he going that far? I'm going to tell you in a few minutes. Whereupon as I went to Damascus with authority, and I was commissioned from the high priest at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun. See, it goes in a little more detail. Shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. They were of the same accord. They were probably the temple guard that were with Paul. And when we were all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking unto me. He didn't speak to anybody else. We don't know how many was in that group, but who did God speak to? One man. And he called him in the Hebrew tongue. He didn't call him Paul, Paul. He said Saul, Saul. You know what that is? That's distinguishing grace. This whole place can be full, and if God intends to speak to your heart, he's going to speak directly to you. And when they were all falling asleep, I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest, but rise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. Now what's the purpose? to make thee a minister and a witness both, both of these things which thou hast seen and those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee. What the first thing he say? I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to take care of you. To open, look in verse 18. What's he going to do to open their eyes? to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. He's telling them why God crossed his path. Saul, when you see how wicked and vile he was, then you might appreciate something of the grace of God, that God would save a man like this. He thought he was, what he thought he was doing, he thought he was right in doing it. He thought he was doing God's service. It says in John 16, 2, And they shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he's doing God's service. This is what God would have me to do. We're going to kill people. We're going to murder people. All in the name of religion. We're zealous for what we believe in. We're going to fight for it. You disagree with us, we'll kill you. That's what you imagine living in, in that. We'll kill you. We won't just threaten you. These ain't empty threats. Men like to intimidate, don't they? Try to intimidate. Why did God record this three times? Because God is going to make an example 
out of this man. What he's saying is you want, you want an example. I've tried to give you examples to, so you'll understand what I'm trying to explain. You know an example of God saving a sinner? This man right here. How's God save sinners? This is how he saves them. He crosses their path on their road to hell. Hell in his journey. God said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. That's how God saves somebody. They're not seeking the Lord. He wasn't seeking the Lord. He was the seeking to, he's, he's just like this. I can't wait till I find me another so-called Christian. I'm going to, here's the warrant for your arrest. We come to search this house. Any Christians in this house? And if I find any, I have the authority. I can arrest you and bring you to Jerusalem to be tried. That's what's going on. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 12. Verse 16. I mean, 1 Timothy 1, verse 12 through verse 16. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. And you know how he explained what God did to him, what God did for him? Here's how he described it. He didn't say, I got saved. He said, I obtained mercy. He knew God showed him mercy. Let me tell you this, when God met him on that road, God could have killed him. He, he was the light so bright that it blinded him. He crossed his path. He, he didn't come in judgment. He came in mercy. If God ever comes to you, you know what it would be? Mercy. I'll show mercy to whom I will show mercy, and whom I will, I'll just leave alone. Because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. You know what he said? I'm the worst of the bunch. There's no more wicked person in the world than somebody that's self-righteous and proud about it. The chief of sinners? You know the chief, he's the leader of the tribe. The chief is the lead one. And he called himself. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst of the bunch. There's nobody any worse than me. That's me. You know when you'll talk that way? When you see who Christ is. You'll quit thinking so highly of yourself and speaking flattering words. You know why most people speak flattering words? They want somebody to flatter them back. Flattering words. Howbeit, for this cause, I obtained mercy, that in me first Christ Jesus might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe to him of everla or life everlasting. Paul knew it. Now listen, he knew this. He knew if God could save him, he could save anybody. He's saying if God could show me mercy, there's mercy for others. 
That's why God recorded it. Mercy. And Saul was breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, and he went into the high priest. He was breathing out threatenings and slaughters. He was an enemy to everything that had to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just his enemy. He thought Jesus was an imposter. He, he wasn't the Messiah. He was a fake. He was a phony. He thought that Jesus Christ in this gospel that these people were preaching was a threat. They thought that they'd lose their position. They thought they'd lose their position. He persecuted all that embraced this religion. Saul was a man filled with rage. Why Damascus? What I can understand, it was a city. It was a coastal city. And where you had a coastal city, the reason people today, if you, why is Charleston built on a river? Why are other cities built on a river? Why is Pittsburgh built on a river? Because of commerce. How they used to ship things before they had trucks and before they had airplanes. They had to ship it some way, either that or rail. Where you had commerce, you had a lot of people. You had a lot of people coming in with caravans of different goods to these cities. And these people are going out. But while these people are here, they're probably hearing the gospel. And Paul hears about it. It's 150 miles away. When you come under the, out of the second tunnel into West Virginia to Ripley exit, that's 138 miles. It's even farther than that that he went from Jerusalem to Damascus because I'm going to stomp out that fire that's going in Damascus. I'm done here in Jerusalem. But if I, I can't, he went to the high priest, he said, would you give me these warrants? Yeah, I'll give them to you. If I find anybody of this way, this way, he's filled with rage. He has to taste for blood. His rage is toward the disciples of the Lord and in persecuting them. He's breathing out. He said it breathed out threatenings like a wild animal, like some type of creature that would breathe out fire and smoke out of his mouth. Breathing out threatenings. Everything he said, he's consumed with it. He's consumed. For a man to go that far, out of hatred, out of despite, he would go that far. And while he's on his journey, something's going to happen. He had no thought what would happen. All his thought is on going in and say, God, get any Christians in here? If you know any, you need to tell me. Or I'll get you for aiding and abetting. And they knew why he's come. Can you imagine these people in Damascus? They'd be terrible. I mean, they would have to be concerned. We're still creatures. We still, we still have fear. If we knew there was somebody coming and they, well, I heard they're coming to Ripley tonight. You better not stand up in there and try to preach. We're going to come and arrest you. We'd have the door locked. We usually do, but we'd be watching. They're coming. 
Who's coming? Saul of Tarsus. He's a murderer. And you know what he does? He's got the law on his side. There's not a thing you can do about it. But there's something God can do about it. This is how God seems to always work. Right when it seems the darkest, God steps in. These are his sheep in Damascus. This is his church. He said, why do you persecute me, Saul? Like Jeff said Sunday, God don't take it lightly how people treat his little vessels. He said, you touch one of these. He said, it was better for you that a millstone was hung about your neck and you was drowned in the depths of the sea than to offend one of these little ones that believe in me. This describes his wicked nature. Someone said his, he spit his venom at believers with every breath. He threatened people with death. You can tell the people in Damascus, how did they get word? We don't know. I'm coming after them. You just be warned. That's the setting. He's not a man, like I said, he's not seeking Christ. His heart is at enmity against God. But surely the wrath of men will praise him. The wrath of men will praise Well, sure it will. You mean God will even use men's wrath to praise him? Well, sure he will. God gets a lot of praise in this chapter. <laughs> and even the remainder of wrath, he will restrain it. You know what he says? He can only go so far. He's serving my purpose. I'm going to show you what kind of sinners I save. I'm going to show you what they are before I save them. And I'm going to show you how I cross their path when I see fit. I can see Saul almost ready to enter the city. And people are just terrified. And at the snap of your fingers, something happened. A bright light brighter than the sun. You know what that is? That's his glory. On the transfiguration, his face shone like the sun. The burning bush, Moses looked at the bush that burned and was not consumed, and God spoke to him out of the bush. Who was that? That's the son of God. That's who that was. He came here to save this sinner. But how did he describe these people? Verse 2, And he desired of him, of the chief priest's letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way. How did they describe early believers? They walked that way. This way. If I can find any of this way, what way is it? Well, it's the way of life. It's the way of Jesus Christ. He's the way. It's the way that narrogate. It's the way. If I find any in this way, the question is, are we in the way? But you think about that on the other hand. 
not a play on words. They are in the way, and the way Paul looked at it, they're in his way. And I'm going to remove them out of the way. Let me give you some scriptures. Acts 19, verse 23. And at the same time, there arose no small stir about that way. That way. Genesis 22, 4. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women. I persecuted what? That's how he described it, this way. And when he said that, they knew which way he was talking about. That way. In Acts twenty-two forty-three. But this kind of confession, and won't you see this, but this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy. You know what they say about the way we preach? Now, that's not, it's not by the way we preach. It's the person we preach. They say it's heresy. After the way that they call heresy. They said, I've never heard that before. I'm not on that way. I thought they was another way. I thought I was on the way. So did Paul. But he knew there was a way that he was not on. After the way that they called heresy, so worship I the God of my father, believing all things that are written in the law and in the prophets. And men still today call what I preach heresy. And when God Almighty saved you, you know what he did? He put you in the way. And he won't let you forsake. He won't forsake you in the way. But isn't it amazing how they described them? So simple. Well, they, they walk in. I'm looking for anybody going that way. Anybody going that way. I want, that's who I'm after. That way. Acts 24, 22, and when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge, Felix had knowledge of that way. They knew about it. They knew that they trusted Jesus Christ. They, they knew that they're not going to Jerusalem to worship anymore because they're worshiping Christ. Our Lord said, the Father seeks such to worship me. Neither in Jerusalem nor in Samaria are you going to worship me. The time's going to come that those who worship me worship me in spirit and in truth. And that's the way they worshiped him. And no other way. We're not going the way of the world. We're not listening to them. We're not going their way. They're all on the way to destruction. Either you're in the way or you're not. And you know what's amazing? God crossed Paul in his way to hell. He said, as I journeyed on my way. Do you think about it? Just for a minute, just ponder this. This man, filled with rage, he's not filled with love. He's not filled with compassion. He's filled with hatred. Why would God save that man? Grace. 
Paul never got over it. If God ever crosses you, you'll never get over it either. And you will see what you were in the wrong way. We, there is a way which seems right to men. It seems right, but the way thereof is the way of death. Here, Paul's on the way to Damascus. He's going to make havoc of the church. Havoc to cause great damage to try to destroy it. And unless you forgot, let me remind you, we have an enemy of our soul. If he could, he would destroy every gospel church. He would shut up every gospel preacher so that no one would ever hear the gospel because unless men hear the gospel, they cannot be saved. You'll notice there's so much here, we're not going to try to get through all these verses tonight. But Paul, God didn't tell Paul to go to Jerusalem. Well, that's where the disciples are at. That's where the apostles are at. Peter, James, and John, all those men, why not there? No, he sent him to Damascus, the very city he was going. Isn't that amazing? Like I said, God's ways are not our ways. And why, I'm just giving you some things to think about between now and next week. Why is he blind for three days? I can imagine the light was so bright that it blinded him and he fought, him and everybody else falls on their face before God and you will too. And when he rises and opens his eyes, he cannot see. That can mean he doesn't understand. There's a lot he don't understand. Danny, I can see him say, what just happened? But he's got three days to think about it. And he neither eats nor drinks. I can tell you this that I do know. When God intends to save someone, he'll save them. And he must make you blind before you will ever see. As he journeyed, he gets us how God saves people, saves them on, on their journey. He come almost to the entering into the city, and suddenly, that's usually how it is, just all of a sudden. I heard a man tell me one time, you know, ever. Now, you can't put yourself in Paul's experience. Now, no, that's, he's not a. We're not trying to match what Paul did. You don't do that. God saves everybody individually because we're all individuals. He said he had made up his mind. He was not coming back to West Virginia. The last time I saw him, he was madder than a hornet. And the first thing he knew, he's got a camper tied to the back of his pickup, and he's coming down Interstate 77, thinking about Isaiah chapter 6. When I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he said, this is how he described his experience. He says, like God reached in and pulled his heart out of his chest. And from experience, I believe God's done a work of grace in that heart. That suddenly, suddenly, it happened. 
What happened? It's called the miracle of grace. It's called the experience of grace. Suddenly, unexpectedly, unaware of it. When he opened and he spoke to him, he fell to the ground. And if God ever crosses your path, we'll stop right there. They all fell on their faces. They fell on their face. Why? In humility. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And all that he saves, he humbles. We think we look pretty good. We love for people to talk about us and brag on us. But if you ever see yourself in the light of holy perfection, you'll see just how filthy and wretched you all. Paul didn't say, I owe wretched man that I used to be. You know what a wretch is. You can't get much lower than a wretch. Oh, wretched man that I am. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and I hated myself. Job said, I've heard, I've heard of you. Now I've seen you, and I hate myself. That's salvation. You know, most of us are all, I know we're depraved and got a depraved nature, but we're in love with ourselves. That's the God we serve. I'm glad God saved sinners. I rejoice every time I read to how God saved that man. Somebody said he was short and bow-legged, probably bald-headed. <laughs> probably not real appealing, but it's not what he, what, how he looked, but it's what he said. I've been sitting right where you are before, and it's like God began to speak to my heart, and it didn't matter to me who was preaching. What mattered was him speaking. And you know what? How God saved him is how God still saves sinners. You want to see an example? Right there it is. He saved him, called him. And you know the first thing we're going to see Next week when Ananias came to him, you know the first thing Ananias said to him? Paul or Saul, you are a chosen vessel. Oh, really? Did he preach election to him? That's what it sounds like. Election never shut the door on anybody. Without election, nobody would be saved. But I can guarantee this, election secures the salvation of all for whom he elected. I hope this study is a help. I, I know this. I've enjoyed studying it. Let's stand.